welcome. Thank you for joining us here at AmazingLove.org. And, uh, you know, it's been a dream of mine to reach people all across the world with a message of Jesus and his love. And so whether you're joining us from near or far, so glad that you're here. And we'd love to hear what God is doing in your life. So if he's blessed you by this ministry, please email us at impactatamazinglove at gmail.com. If you'd like to support this ministry and make sermons like this possible every week ongoing, please go to amazinglove.org and go to our giving tab. But now may God bless you. May he guide you. May he speak into your life and direct you all through the power of his love. Thank you. Hey friends, uh, welcome to Amazing Love again, and uh, happy Labor Day weekend, and who doesn't enjoy a three-day weekend? If you enjoy, could you say, yeah? All right, yeah, and, uh, and do you know, just as a side note, uh, rest is actually a biblical concept. Yeah, it is. In fact, God rested after he made the world in six days, seventh day he rested. When he was in charge of a people, he said, one day you're going to rest. And that rest will not only be a physical rest, but it'll be a spiritual rest. And so that's what we've come to do and welcome once again. As we get going today, I want to talk a little bit about the game of poker. And I think poker is an interesting game. Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor, you're talking about poker in the church. Don't you know you shouldn't gamble? And just to let me say, if, if, if your temptation is gambling, okay, maybe you have to avoid it. But, but let's just say that you can do it for entertainment. You can do it with not a lot of money. Maybe it's just about like household chores. So again, at the end of the day, it's just a game. So do you permit me to talk about poker? Okay, thank you. Well, anyway, I was going to go in anyway, so... <laughs> um, Poker's interesting because you have to make bets when you don't know what's coming. Now, I'm not an expert at poker, but I want to walk you through a, a hand of Texas Hold'em. So let's say that the first thing that happens is you get your two cards. And I got two cards here. I'll, I'll put them on the screen so you can see what I'm playing with. And right away when I get my two cards, if you've ever played poker, you have to say, okay, based on what I have, I have to put a bet in. Okay, so, so let's just do that. I, I bet just to be in the game. Now, if you know the next step of poker, then the, the first three cards are dealt. This is called the flop. So I'm going to deal my cards. I'm going to show you what I have. Here we go. All right. 
No tense. Now at this point, you bet again, and you still don't know what's coming, and two cards are left, both the turn and the river. And, and, and you have to say, do I want to keep playing the game? Do I, do I fold at this point? Do I call or do I raise? Well, let's say for the point of argument, I'm just going to call it. I'm going to bet what everyone else is betting, and I bet again even though I don't know what is happening. I don't know how it's going to turn out. So here comes the next card, the turn. And I don't know if you play poker, but is this a pretty good hand so far? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about it. So I, I don't want to put off anything else. I'm going to play my poker face as best I can. So I'm not going to fold. Um, I'm just going to call once again to do the bet that everyone else is doing. And so I can get to the final card, which we know as the river. So the river comes, and the river is... This is a pretty good poker hand. Four of a kind. So what I'm tempted to do here is something called going all in or betting the farm. And so because I have four of a kind, one of the, the best hands, you know, it's one of those moments where I'm going to push the chips to the middle and intimidate and see what's going to happen. But the reality is I don't know if I'm going to win the hand, do I? The reality is I still have to wait for the reveal. I have to figure out at that point, as I go all in, whether or not going all in was really a payoff. Faith is like poker, isn't it? That's my point. Isn't it true that God will often ask you to bet some things of your life, bet some things, put some chips in when you don't know what is coming? That was true of Abraham. The first part of his story, God shows up to Abraham and says, I want you to go to a land you've never been to. I want you to bet on me that it's going to work out even though you don't know the people, you don't know the economy. It's like having those first two cards in hand, not knowing what's going to happen. Where we catch Abraham today, though, is the showdown. And where we catch Abraham today is when God says, I want you to put all the chips on the table, not knowing what will the reveal will be, not knowing what comes in store. That's a test that that Abraham has. But first, let me catch you up and, and tell you what happened. Uh, last year, if you were here during the series, uh, last week we explored how, how he had a sin deja vu, how he had a blunder that he did not once but twice. Well, what we skipped is how Abraham finally had a child. Finally, after 25 years of waiting, he had a son named Isaac. And does anyone remember what Isaac means? It means laughter. Good job paying attention. That's great. And you, you, you had to think they were laughing when he was born. Here you have a hundred-year-old dude and a 90-year-old lady who were laughing again that they could have a child, that the son finally came. You can imagine the joy. But now God asks, after I have given, I'm going to take away. Now God shows up and he asks, will you give that child back to me? Will you go all in when you don't know how it will work out? Now, dear Christians, this applies to our own life. I believe if you've walked with God for a long time, if you're a Christian, by the way, if you're not a Christian, we're so glad you're here. And if you're watching online and you're not a Christian, I, I commit to you, I'm going to tell you why we think Jesus is awesome, why you should be here, and so glad you're watching. But anyway, um, but if you are a Christian, do you know at one point or another you're going to walk with God and he'll give you a similar test? I believe so. And here's the test. The test is to go all in when you can't see what's coming. Go all in when you don't know how it's going to work out and you don't have the responses or the answers that you need. He might ask you to go all in when it comes to your career. Go all in when it comes to your job. Go all in when it comes to your kids, your spouse, your family. All the chips on the table, not knowing the reveal. 
Let's hear how this happened with Abraham's story. Let, let, let's see what God was asking. Genesis chapter 22, we're going to dive in and then we're going to explore this, okay? Genesis 22. It said, sometime, God, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, you got to respect his obedience, and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey, while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we, <laughs> that's faith, we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son, Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven saying, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. That's incredible. It's an incredible story. And here's the thing we're going to learn today. I believe observing his story, we can learn how to pass our own tests. I believe that. And what he might do through us in the process. You ready? All right, all right. One of the books that I really recommend if you're a book reader is a book called Radical. Has anyone ever uh, heard about it, picked it up, read it? It's a good one. It's a good one. And I'll never forget um, a story that was told in this book. It was a story about David Platt, who was a pastor, taking his faith community, and they went to South Africa to help in an impoverished medical clinic. There at the clinic, many people struggled with AIDS and HIV. And he recalls all the things they risked by going to that area. In fact, something happened while they were there. One of the cars they had rented was actually hijacked when he was there, and it took all the luggage for, for a lot of the volunteers. Then they were working in the medical clinic, and a worst-case scenario happened. As they were dealing with people who had HIV AIDS and dealing with needles and precaution, one of the volunteers got stuck by a needle that was used on someone with HIV AIDS. And then it got worse. Because not just one volunteer, but two volunteers got stuck by this needle that was used on someone with HIV. And some of us hearing might say, why in the world did they ever go there? Why in the world would they ever risk that? Their response recorded by David Platt was actually pretty incredible. First, the volunteers said, I'm glad it happened to us and not anyone else. <laughs> And then they said this. Let me get my notes. David Platt records, they said, if these clinics were used by God to lead someone to Christ, then it was all worth it. See, these people, they did something incredible because they had a hope. They had a hope that what they would do on earth would impact eternity. 
And because of that hope, it led to something very incredible. In fact, when the community heard that these volunteers were willing to do that and still had that response, God did work in their hearts, and many people, by God's grace, were brought to faith because of their story, because they were willing to make that wager. Now, what is Abraham being asked to do? Not go to a medical clinic and, and risk getting the disease AIDS. I think something harder. Sacrifice your only son. And, and put it in the story's context. Abraham had waited 25 years for this boy. I don't know if you remember waiting nine months for your child to come. Remember that? It seems like an eternity, right? And all those hospital visits, hoping it's going to work out. And that seems brutal. I can't imagine waiting 25 years and then the joy that would ensue when you finally hold that baby or raise that baby or see that baby. This baby was also the son of the promise. God said that I'm going to bless all people through this child. And you're going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore through this child. And yet he was willing to get up early the next day. God, I love the obedience. Get up early the next day to follow the Lord's will. Now, how could he do it? I have a theory. And this is what I believe. That incredible deeds are done through improbable hope. What Abraham was holding out for was a, a hope that didn't even make sense, a hope that was illogical, that, that, that wasn't rational. In, in fact, if you read into what's going on in Abraham's mind and Abraham's thought, um, the, the, the scripture writer of Hebrews, he actually tells us, God through the writer of Hebrews tells us what Abraham was thinking about. You wanna, want the reveal? Here it is. Here's what Abraham was thinking. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And get this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Friends, what's incredible is that at this point, there is no proof of any other resurrection. Abraham has no proof of a, a resurrected Easter morning. Abraham didn't see the miracles of Elisha or Elijah who either raised the dry bones or raised a son who was dead. He has no idea that God could do it, and yet he held out to improbable hope that it was going to work out, that it was going to be okay. It's the same thing I believe those volunteers did. They held out what we would call crazy, improbable hope to, to wager an earthly existence for eternal impact. That's, that's just crazy, Right? Dear friends, here's the first point. When you go through tests, you need to know this. You need to know this. Perk your ears up. When you are in the midst of that test, here's the truth. It won't make sense. You won't see how it ends. You can't see how it ends. In fact, that's the essence of the test. I consider all the people who, who may, you know, have a, a situation where they feel like tithing would be crazy. Giving money to God would be crazy in the midst of what's going on financially right now. Giving faithful first fruits, that's just, that's just illogical right now in this point of my life. Or maybe there's someone who goes to a job and just says, ethics? I mean, ethics were gone a long time ago. If I try to bring ethics back, do you know how illogical that would be right now? Or how about acting morally in spite of what we feel? 
You're asking me to be moral, but I feel this way. I feel so certain. Or how about moving past frustration? How about working with your Lord with all your heart and giving it all you got, even though you face roadback after roadblock and you're wondering when you should give up? A lot of what we do and should do is highly illogical and it doesn't make sense. But Abraham held out. And I'm just hoping and praying that, that the spirit inside of it would, would, would raise you up and the spirit inside of would you give the strength to say, Lord, you're worth it. Lord, I don't know how it works out, but you're going to work it out. Lord, I know you're with me on this side, and even though I can't see the other side, I know you're going to be there. And so I hold out hope knowing that it's going to happen. Not based on anything that I see, and not based on my reason. But because of just the hope I have in you. That's part of how we pass the test. But there's something else that was working in Abraham. We've got to consider his story, if you will, with me. Think of what Abraham learned about God in the course of this story. Last week, we learned about a blunder he had. He told someone that his wife was his sister, and then he figured it out. This was the second time that he did it. But what I didn't cover, and maybe you read, is that do you know he was blessed both times, even though he blundered? Pharaoh, when he gave back the wife, also gave him a lot of riches, if you read the account. Abimelech, when he gave back the wife, also gave a lot of riches. So he was blessed in spite of a blunder. What did he learn about God? You consider when he had that victory against the five kings, if you were here. Abraham says, I'm going to go, just the, the household that we have here, and try to defeat five kings to rescue my nephew Lot. And they do it. What do you think Abraham learned? Or you consider Abraham's story when he bartered for Sodom and Gomorrah and he said, if there's only 50, 40, 30, 10, then will you still spare the city? What did he learn about God? Or what did he learn when that baby was born and a hundred-year-old man held this child in his arms? Here's what I believe. He learned God's love is greater than he had once imagined. It went higher and deeper and wider and longer than he ever knew even when he started this. God's love is greater. You want to pass the test? You got to remember that love because I believe incredible deeds are inspired by love. If you'll permit me, I remember uh, being at a dance with my wife, but she didn't know she was going to be my wife. We weren't even dating. I, I would say I think she wanted to date me, but I, I don't know. <laughs> and we're at this dance and they play this punk rock song and uh, a mosh pit ensues. I'm talking with my future dating person who would be my spouse, and she basically challenges me. She says, they're moshing. Aren't you going to go mosh? What do you think I did? I moshed, my friends. <laughs> I was jumping higher. I was shoving out of loving. I mean, that's what you do in a mosh pit. You know, I was doing all the things in a mosh pit just because the lady wants me to mosh. I mosh, my friends. That is just what love does. You know what I'm saying? All right. Well, this is the story of Abraham. Do you know this story? It shouldn't be titled The Test. It shouldn't be titled A Crazy God. It shouldn't be titled A Sacrifice. It should be titled Abraham's Love Story. It could be written by Nicholas Sparks, my friends, because what it finally is is Abraham declaring to the world, you come first. It's crazy. I'm going to do it. I jump higher, I push more, I don't care. I'm going to rise up and do what I know because I know the Lord's love. And I'm actually here to tell you of a greater love. 
Because what we have here is one of the most beautiful foreshadowings that we ever see in Scripture. Let me tell you about something greater, my friends. It's why we came. If you're watching, if you're new to Christ, this is where you need to perk up, my friends. There is a greater love. See, there is this story that we believe in amazing love of a greater father willing to give up a greater son. There is a story of a greater son of promise. Not one of 25 years, but one of 2,000 years. There's a story of a greater sacrifice where the knife would be traded for nails and the wood of the altar would transform into a cross. There's a story of a greater confusion, not of a a child who asks where the sacrifice is, but of the sacrifice asking, why have you forsaken? There's a greater victory, a greater three-day journey, One greater than Abraham walking back with Isaac, his son, in safely in his arms. It's of a greater three-day journey when, when there was a grave and now an empty tomb where Jesus rose up and said, I have conquered, I have passed the test, and you have won because of me. And Jesus proved through all that he has done, greater love has no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. And that's what we are. That's what this place is all about. You have come to hear ultimately that you are loved in a way that I believe was greater than you've ever imagined. But I ask you, where's your love? Where's your love? If God asks you today to put it all in, to bet the farm, put the chips on the table, could you do it? Could you be willing to sacrifice comfort? Willing to sacrifice security, dreams? What about those children who are ultimately God's? That's what we learn. Do you know that? They're ultimately God's gift to us. Or spouses, or family. Isn't it true that the heart is a bit messy? You know, the first commandment was to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And isn't it true this is very hard to do? And I don't know if we ever get it right. But I believe through the knowledge of his love and the knowledge of forgiveness, we can strive harder. I would love for us to leave committed to this day saying, Jesus, if I have you, I have enough. Jesus, if I have you, I have all that I need because you hold all things in your hands. I would hope that the Spirit works in you and the knowledge of God's love to just declare today, if I have you, it's enough, God. It's enough. In fact, I want to prompt you, if you're okay with it, to prompt me to confess with me this this statement. Uh, So all of you, if you are ready, if you're feeling it, if you want the Spirit to work inside of you, say this with me, okay? We begin. If I only have you, I have enough, for in you are all things. And if you get there, if you've ever been there, you know that's a sweet spot, isn't it? it kind of makes you untouchable because it doesn't matter what's going to happen. It doesn't matter what he gives or takes. It doesn't matter how things turn out because all I need is you. It's a sweet spot, my friends. You know, it kind of reminds me of poker. And this experience about putting all the chips in and remember the hand that I had had and going all in. Well, we haven't considered the hand of God. You want the reveal? Here's the reveal. I believe God is holding this. Do you remember what cards we had? Does anyone know what this makes? 
a royal flush. Can you beat a royal flush? You sure can't. Here's God, right? I got the royal flush. I am the royal king. But I believe what God is saying, yeah, I took all your chips, but guess what? You're on my team now. Guess what? You have access to all the chips I own, which is everything. You're going to be just fine in this game called life. I hold people. I hold money. I hold opportunities. And especially I hold you in the palm of my hand. You lost your chips, but you gained all of mine, my friends. That's the reality. So that's how we get through. That's how we pass the test. But if you're okay, I wanted to close just by discovering two things I believe God can work in us as we go through this process. Two things that I believe God can, can, can work in us is if we're willing to bear up under the test. And, and right now it reminds me of doing homework with the kids. Anyone getting back into that schedule doing homework with the kids? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm getting back and, and doing a little bit of homework with my, my kid Bella here, which is pretty awesome. And uh, Bella has learned that doing homework with dad probably isn't that fun because um, what, what I usually do when she asks me a question is I say, what do you think? Right? And, and, and sometimes I'll even give her like a two-minute countdown. Like, okay, I, I know you're struggling here. I'll give you two minutes. If you don't figure it out in two minutes, dad's all yours, right? She's learned that I, I flip it back to her. So, and here's why. I don't want to be mean. I really don't want to be mean. But here, here, here's why. <laughs> she shook her head. It's awesome. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I know she knows. That's, that's it. You ever been there? Like, I know that she has the capability to figure this thing out. I know she knows. And here's the reason I do that. I just want her to know she knows. Make sense? I know she knows. I just want her to know she knows. Right? There we go. Cloud knows. When God shows up and gives us our test, do you really think it's for him to figure out where we're at? Does God not know where we're at today? Does he not see your heart? Did he not know this about Abraham already? It isn't about showing anything to God or proving anything to God. Guess who it's proved to? He's trying to prove something to us about where we are and what we already know and how far we have come. See, the reality of a test. Um, first, let me get to a, a great quote by Charles Swindle. He's the one who had this idea. He said, he doesn't people put people to a test to see how well their faith responds under fire. No, he puts, prepares tests of faith to show us what he's made of us lately. The reality is if we bear the test, they reveal the status of our faith life. Now, I didn't ask for volunteers, but I need two volunteers if you're willing to just stand up on stage. Please, yes, young man. Anyone else? Anyone brave? Anyone brave? Please, yes, young man. Come on. Let's give him a round of applause. It's scary being up here. Thank you, thank you. Brave young individuals. Lucas, good to see you. Daniel, good to see you. Now, Lucas, I'm going to place you right here, okay? Can you stand right here and face that way, okay? And I got this illustration from another pastor because he's smarter than me. But Daniel, if you could stand, let's say, right there. Okay. And I am going to stand right here. Now this is a picture of faith. Lucas, you represent where you've been. Where, where, where you started maybe in the faith. Where, where at an infant point you were at one point. I represent where you are. 
And Daniel, buddy, you represent where we want to be. And that's not looking down on anyone, by the way. You, you get that, right? You're awesome, Lucas. Anyway. <laughs> and what I believe sometimes God does through the test is like, right now, you might have like a car breaking down, right? And, and, and it's a bit of a test, right? But, but you might be able to look back and be like, but I remember when my car first broke down. And boy, was that a nightmare. And remember how I acted then? And I sure am better than where I was then. But, but you know, I'm not where I'd like to be. I'm, I'm not as, as much as it's all yours, God, yet. I'm not there yet. I still have some work to get to Daniel's point, right, Daniel? He's doing awesome. Anyway, um, <laughs> and that's where I'd like to be. Or maybe it's with parenting. And you remember, you know, the first child and the first tantrum or the first ER trip. And you remember, like, man, I used to be there. Oh, was that bad. But now I'm here and I handle it a little bit better. But, but I'd sure like to be there, right? Or, or maybe it's with my job and when I first started I was overwhelmed the sky was falling I'm a little bit stronger now but I'm still not where I want to be or how I interact with people you know I was there right I used to soldiers fly off the handle and I didn't forgive and I'm working on it but I'm still not where I want to be and sometimes we're just revealed that in a good way guess what guys you're not where you were any of you guys made progress in the faith I've seen it in you but guess what, guys? We're not where we could be yet. And God reveals this to us. Daniel Lucas, thank you so much. Thank you for coming up. <clears throat> maybe today and maybe through this test, God is just saying in you, and maybe there's some who are going to leave like, man, I just had this test and I like epically failed it. <laughs> and I'm just, just looking at where I want to be. But maybe there are some who just confirm, man, I just went through something, but I remember how I used to do that. I remember how I used to handle it, and God, by his grace, he's brought me some places. It's pretty awesome. There's one more thing that I believe tests do in us. The last thing it does, I believe, is tests make us crave his will and his way. His will and his way. His will and his way. Because isn't it true so often we think we have the answers. We so often say, no God, my way, my way, my way. And so um, I had an experience and um, I just want you to let you know as a pastor, like I try to live this out all through the week so that I can preach to you. Because I, I truly believe I shouldn't preach on something that I'm not willing to do. I shouldn't preach on a concept that I'm not willing to go through myself. And so I just want to tell you that I think this week in a minor way, God really put me through this test of seeing where I was at. Let me tell you just a quick story. I had to buy a new car, okay? Our old car got in a wreck, and so I went to a Nissan dealership, and if a Prius wasn't green enough and cool enough, I was going to buy a Nissan Leaf. And uh, I prayed about it. And we prayed about it, and we asked God to bless it. And guess what? I, I bought a Nissan Leaf. Two days later, I found out what range is all about. It advertises 100 miles. No, you go like 50 miles on that baby. It's like a scooter. <laughs> and I have this moment where I'm like, what have I done? I don't even know how to get home today. I went home, and literally it said zero. Like, you have no miles left. And I'm just waiting for the tow truck. And I pray again. And, and the prayer is just kind of like, God, I thought I had it figured out. And, and we prayed about it, but I just want you to know I'm open to your will. And, and just like, I don't care about my way anymore, but I'm so confused and I so don't know how this works. Lord, just you have your way. And so I did something ridiculous. I, I, I wondered if the car dealership would take it back. Do you think car dealerships are known for doing that? 
Well, they did. And they gave me the value that I bought it for if I would just buy a trade-in. So they worked with me that way. And there was never any way I was ever going to buy a minivan again. But I did, my friends. <laughs> because at the end of the day, honestly, as much as I love cars, and if you have a Mustang, I think you're cool. I do. And if you have a Porsche, even better. That's awesome. It's all gods anyway, so let's not be weird about that, right? But at the end of the day, I learned as much as I love cars and think they're cool, do I need a car? Do I need a cool car? No. I just want God's way in my life. That's it. I was so confused. I was so humbled. To, to go back and, and suck my pride in and say, can you take it back? Do you know what that took? But I tell you, I've never wanted his way more as he put me through that. Maybe you found that in your life where you got exactly your way, but you didn't want your way after you figured out what it was. And I would convince you, I would convince you his way is better. We have only a peephole of knowledge. He holds the crystal ball. The best thing we can pray is have your way, Lord. And if your way happens, that's enough. So may God bless us. May he show you how to get through. May he teach you what he's doing in the process. Amen.